0: All right, hey, good morning. Thank you for being here. You guys still with me? (laughs) That was a peak, all right? We're going downhill now. Um, Let's just be honest Um, and praise God for that. Uh, I love being a part of this family. I'm super grateful. If you are new this morning, you're kind of hopping in with us as we have been venturing through a series in a book in the New Testament called The Gospel of John. And this book is written by one of Jesus' best friends, John the Apostle, as well as one of his disciples. It's a firsthand account of his experiences of following this radical rabbi. And so this morning, as we tune in, we get into maybe one of the most powerful passages of Scripture um, in the entire Bible. And I believe maybe the most important conversation that ever happened in Scripture. Now, a number of years ago, there was a newspaper account of a speech that was given by a president of a well-known university to a group of influential businessmen and civic leaders. And the president told a recent experience which he and his audience and the newspaper found hilarious. The president was shopping during the Christmas season and he happened to pass by a Salvation Army volunteer. And standing by a donation kettle ringing the bell, he paused to make a donation. And the woman volunteer asked him, Sir, are you saved? And when he replied that he supposed he was, she wasn't satisfied, so she pursued the matter further. No, I mean, have you ever given your life fully to Jesus Christ? And at this point, the president kind of chuckles and tells his audience that he thought he should enlighten this persistent woman concerning his identity. I am the president of such and such university. I am also the president of its school of theology. And the lady considered his response for a moment and then replied, Well, it doesn't matter where you've been or whatever you are, you can still be saved. Today, as we continue in the Gospel of John, we are introduced to an incredibly important conversation. We get the opportunity to sort of eavesdrop on a conversation that I believe could change everything for us. It's a conversation between the most prominent religious teacher in Israel and this new radical rabbi who has stepped on the scene, Jesus of Nazareth. And in this conversation, we have the opportunity for God to reveal to each of us what it takes for a person to enter the kingdom of God, or in the words of the lady, be saved. Now, if you've ever questioned or doubted or wondered, what does it take for a person to know they are right with God, to receive his kingdom, this is a conversation you want to listen in on. But I have to caution you with this. Today in our conversation, as you sort of eavesdrop into the answers that are given by this rabbi of Nazareth, what you have to understand is it may cause you to reconsider everything in your life. It may cause you to have to reconsider what you put your stock in, what you put your hope in, what you built your foundation on when it comes to approaching God. And the question I want every one of us to be able to walk away with, with clarity, is this question, the answer to this question, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 3, verse 1. As Charlotte just read, I'm going to reread these passages for us. John chapter 3, verse 1. And we eavesdrop into this conversation between Jesus of Nazareth and this prominent religious leader, Nicodemus. Here's what the text reads. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him." And that's where Jesus cuts him off. Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This gives a new light to Mother's Day. Uh, Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Today in our text, we're introduced to this guy, Nicodemus. As I said, he's one of the prominent religious leaders of Israel. And we learn that he's actually a part of a group of guys named the Pharisees. Everybody say Pharisee. Okay, you're awake. The Pharisees were a sect of religious leaders uh, that had built their lives on their education, on their background and birth, heritage, on their obedience to the law. And in fact, they were so strict with their obedience, they had come up with their own set of rules and regulations that they obeyed as well. The word Pharisee literally means the separated ones. And this is what they believed. They believed that they were the elite spiritual leaders and gatekeepers of the kingdom of God. If you want to know God, you need to know them. If you want to follow God, you need to follow me. If you want to know you're right with God, then you need to listen to me, obey me, adhere to our teachings, and I will teach you, and maybe then you will have a chance. So the keys to the kingdom seem to be in these guys hands, and Nicodemus was the primary representative of them all. Not only was he the leader of the Pharisees, he was also a part of this governing council called the Sanhedrin. These are the best of the best from every group. This is the all-star team of religious leaders. And Nicodemus is a part of this as well. And it is this man that comes into this conversation Approaching Jesus at night. Now, why does Nicodemus approach Jesus at night? Most people believe because rabbis would study the Torah at night so they could kind of read in quiet. I know for many of you with babies, this is probably something you're considering practicing right now. But for Nicodemus, he meets Jesus at night because he wants to have a conversation with him. And he doesn't want anybody else to know he's having a conversation with him. He's curious. He's interested. He comes with a lifetime of performance and education, background, and family history that he believes sets him apart, that sets him up to know that he is right with God. And it's into this context that Jesus seems to implode all of Nicodemus' belief about being right with God when he says this, John 3, verse 3, Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to know you're right with God? You want a relationship with God? You must be born again. If you're writing notes, here's our first point, plain and simple. What's the message that Jesus is trying to get across? The message is this. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Here's not what Jesus didn't say. You must be born to the right family. He didn't say you must possess the appropriate education. He didn't say you must have performed for God appropriately. You must be born again. what Nicodemus finds out is that everything he had put his hope in couldn't help him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I remember graduating from college... For those of you who have gone to, gone to school and then you enter the workforce, that can be sort of a, a, a hard transition. Would anybody agree? I remember for me, I spent my entire life putting my stock and hope in the fact that I would become a professional baseball player. And as you can tell, that didn't work out. So here I am. So my whole life, I, I prepared and trained and hoped and longed for this day that I never received. And upon graduating from UTSA, Go Runners, I finished my career there and walked away from baseball. But it, it felt like at this point in my life, I, I really didn't know what my stock was in anymore. And, and truthfully, if I hadn't come to follow Jesus just shortly before that, I, I really believe I would have been devastated even more. And so for me, I began this journey of, of sort of beginning again. Everything I put my stock and hope in was gone, and I had to reassess what I was going to build my life on. And in a similar, similar place spiritually, Nicodemus finds himself in a conversation with Jesus where when Jesus says you've got to be born again, what Nicodemus hears is you've got to begin again. You've got to start over. Whatever stock and hope and and focus you had when it came to approaching God, I'm telling you, you've missed it. You see, the phrase born again that Jesus communicates, it comes from the Greek word anathen, which means to be born from above. It's a spiritual rebirth experience that you cannot earn from your own merit or your own manipulation. And Nicodemus, we understand he doesn't get it, right? Because then he starts talking about going back in his mother's womb. I don't know how he missed that that far. So Jesus goes into, what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born from above? And Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean when Jesus says, be born of the water and spirit? Now I'm going to need you to track with me really quickly for a little history lesson. Is anybody like history here at all? Not me me either, so here's the deal. Um, Before Jesus shows up on the scene, there's a guy, a notable figure who shows up baptizing people. His name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is baptizing people in a baptism of repentance. What does that mean? That means John the Baptist knows that he's not the Savior, he's the forerunner. And so people are coming to John the Baptist admitting that they need to turn from their life of sin and they need to prepare their hearts for the Savior who's to come. This was a symbolic baptism of the water cleansing you and preparing you for the Savior to come. So it didn't save you, but it prepared you. The people coming to John the Baptist were turning from their sin, turning from their own control of life, and opening their hands to what God may have for them. The word repentance means a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change in direction. The word repent was a military term. If you're walking one direction and they say repent, you turn a 180, you walk the other direction. So when God leads you in repentance, what it means is to have a change of heart and a change of mind about who God is and who should lead your life. So for the people to repent was to say, I no longer have the ability to lead my own life. I no longer want to be controlled by my sin. I am opening my hands and my heart to receive a new life. So, when Jesus says, Be born again by the water and the Spirit, what does he mean? The first thing, by the water. You've got to repent. You've got to turn to me, open your hands and your heart to be prepared to receive what I'm going to give you next. What's that? The Spirit. The word spirit in the Greek is the same word for wind. It's the word pneuma. And Jesus says, you don't get it? Guess what? The wind, it blows where it wishes. You feel it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And yet you feel its effects. Me and my wife, we live in like a little town home, and it's facing north. So when it's windy, the wind literally feels like it's going to blow our home over. Every night I'll lay in bed and think, I'm never going to be able to fall asleep, God, if you don't calm this wind down. And then he said, that was the Holy Spirit I was brushing on you. Um, That actually, he didn't say that, but I felt like he could have said that. So here's what happens. The wind, you don't see it, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You can't control it, you can't contain it, and yet you feel its power. In the same way, this is how the power of the Holy Spirit works. You can't quantify it, you can't control it, you can't contain it, but when it hits your life, it changes you. And so Jesus says if you want to be born again, you've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. It means you've got to repent. Open your hands, open your heart. When you do, you're now a primary target for the Spirit to hit you and change you. But you can't be born again without the water and the Spirit. It's a new birth. So here's a key idea for you that, that I think Jesus communicates to Nicodemus, and it's this. You are not born again by the works of your hands or the information in your head, but a transformation in your heart. You want to know what it means to be born again? You want to enter the kingdom of God? You want to know you're right with God? Listen, you will not be born again by the works of your hands, the information in your head, but a transformation in your heart. For Nicodemus, this is a man who built his entire life on his pedigree, understanding, education, heritage and family and jesus saying is saying everything you put your stock in that you thought you could approach me with will get you nowhere i am after your heart listen guys let me tell you something real quick sometimes the farthest direction the gospel has to go is 18 inches from your head to your heart we talk about the gospel going to the ends of the earth some of us we need it to move 18 inches the gospel has to get from here to here. It doesn't matter what you know about God. It matters, do you know God? At the end of your days, when you meet Jesus in eternity, the question will be, do you know me? Have you had a heart transformation? Has the gospel impacted your heart? That's the message. So the question then that we ask, and Nicodemus might ask, is how? John chapter 3, go to verse 9. Nicodemus then says to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answers, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Listen to what he says in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So similar, if you're sitting here today, you may say, like Nicodemus, I have no idea, Ryan, what you're talking about. Maybe some of you feel that way this morning. You're in great company with Nico. That was his uh, nickname given by Jesus, Nico. And so Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? The religious elite, he, he didn't understand. His faith was sort of crumbling in front of him. So Jesus uses a metaphor that Nicodemus would understand to communicate this spiritual truth. And he goes back to this story that we find in Numbers 21, for all you Old Testament buffs. And in Numbers 21, here's what happens. The Israelites had found themselves in the wilderness. They had been delivered from slavery to Egypt, and they were wandering, but they began rebelling and complaining and sinning. And God decides to bring an element of judgment upon the people of Israel. And snakes entered their camp. This sounds horrible. For those of you who hate snakes, those are God's people who do. And the snakes enter the camp and they start biting people. And there's no antidote to heal them from the snake bites. So God commands Moses to do something. He says, take a wooden pole, place a bronze serpent on it, lift it in the air. And every person who looks upon the serpent on the pole will be healed. They will have to take an act of faith to believe you, look upon the pole, and be healed from their sickness. And in the same way, now Jesus is relating this and foreshadowing this to his own ascension where he will be nailed to a cross, lifted up in the earth, that all persons who would look at him would be saved and healed from their sickness. And what is our sickness? Sin. Our separation from God that every person experiences. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, with a story he can understand, you have to believe in me. And so here's our second point if you're writing notes, really simply put, is the method. What is the method For rebirth, it's this, you must believe to be reborn. The message is simple. You must be reborn to enter the kingdom of God. But the method, you must believe. You must look to Jesus and believe. There's a story, uh, kind of a famous story. On January 6th in 1850, there was a snowstorm that crippled this small town in England. And a teenage boy... He was unable to get to the church that he usually attended. So that day he made his way to like a nearby primitive Methodist church and where an ill-prepared guest preacher was substituting. Just a guy from the crowd. <laughs> Time's up, Ryan. All right, guys, let's get out of here. I mean, I knew it was bad, but that bad. The guest preacher, we're going to keep going, guys. The guest... Ge- <laughs> I'm not even the guest preacher. The guest preacher is preparing this ill-prepared message. And he only had one verse. Isaiah 45, verse 22, that says, Look unto me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. He kept repeating the same verse over and over. Look unto me and be saved. Now, for many months, this young teenager, he had been miserable and under deep conviction. But though he had been raised in the church, he didn't have the assurance of salvation. He didn't know he was going to see God. He didn't know he was right with him. And the unprepared substitute preacher, he did not have much to say. So he kept repeating the text. A man doesn't need to go to college to learn to look, he shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. And about that time, he saw the visitor sitting to one side. And he pointed at him and he said, Young man, you look miserable. (laughs) Young man, look to Jesus. The young man did look. And that day, that was how Charles Spurgeon got saved. The greatest preacher of all time. If you have any notion within you that you long... For something new, a new birth, tired of your own life of sin, your own failures, your own disappointments, Jesus would say, look up, look at me, look at the cross and be saved. The one who died for you and loves you, you can be saved. But he continues and finishes with this in John chapter three, verses 16 through 18, maybe the most Some of the most popular verses in all of Scripture. Here's what it reads. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this leads us to our final point this morning, the motive. What is the motive in the gospel to be born again? The motive is simply this. God loves you. He wants to save you, not to condemn you. God loves you. He seeks to save you and not condemn you. Jesus reveals in this conversation his heart for the world and for Nicodemus and for all who would hear this message. If you are here this morning, you need to hear this. God has demonstrated his love for you in Jesus. In fact, the text reads, lo- God loves the entire world. The phrase the world means cosmos. It means every stinking person. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you came from, what your education is, or what it will ever be, God loves you. And He is a giver. God gave His Son. So many people think God is a taker. He's not a taker, He's the greatest giver in the world. He gave His Son. God wants to save you, not condemn you, the text reads. We misunderstand God's motive and heart in the gospel. We think Jesus came to put people in their place. Jesus came to put himself on a cross so you could take his place and be with God for eternity. The offer is accessible salvation to all. Let me tell you this real quickly in case you need to hear it God does not send people to hell. You have the choice yourself of if you accept his free gift of salvation or not. For those who receive it, they are saved. For those who are not, the Bible says you're already condemned in your sin. But salvation is made accessible to all people. So, as we close with our text, I know it's a lot, we think of these three things. One, what is is the message that we garner from this conversation? The message is this, very simply put to you this morning, is if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you got to be reborn. And Jesus reveals that the way to be reborn is to believe in Jesus, what he has done for you, who he is, what he says, and to in repentance surrender to him. And lastly, the motive, why would you decide to do this? Because you trust God's heart for you, that he loves you, he's paid it all for you, He's a giver, not a taker, and he's, he did not come to condemn but to save. And so this morning as we close, we're going to respond in worship, but I want to leave you with a few questions just to, to chew on this morning as you kind of evaluate the text in your own heart and you seek it for yourself. And, and here are our questions this morning as we, as we close. The first one is this. On what basis are you approaching Jesus? Question number one. What I mean is, as you approach Jesus to have a right relationship, what basis are you presenting? Do you think that you have a right relationship with God based on your church attendance? Do you think that you have a right relationship with God based on the fact you went to seminary? Do you think you have a right relationship with God based on your performance? Or do you have a right relationship with God because you know Jesus? The second is this, have you ever been born again? Do you know for certain that you've been born again? We have some mothers in here. I'm pretty sure they know the day they had a baby. It's quite unmistakable. In the same way, when you have been born again by the Holy Spirit, you know. Romans 8 actually testifies that the spirit intercedes with our own spirit that we are the children of God. There's an assurance. There's a conviction. There's an internal understanding that I, I know who I was and I know who I am. That doesn't mean that I never sin. That doesn't mean that I don't fall off the path. That doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not rude at people I drive by and say things I shouldn't at times. The reality is all of us are in process, but we're not saved by our works. We're saved by what Jesus accomplished But have you been born again? And maybe the question to ask is the third one. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Is there evidence that if you have been born again, only the Spirit of God could do that in you? And if the Spirit of God has done it in you, He's certainly working through you. So is there evidence of the Spirit's work in your life? Or is it just every day? I'm mustering up the strength to try to do the right thing. I'm mustering up the strength to try to get to church one more time. Is there evidence of power? Is there evidence of the Spirit's work and movement? And these are questions I want us to chew on as we think of the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. You must be born again. And it can start today for any person who desires. Let's pray.